Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright. This is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 4. This is Lesson 3 of Part 4. And in this lesson, we're going to uh, talk about something that we've that's been mentioned in every in the previous two lessons. Uh, but we want to talk about it again. God did not crucify the man Christ Jesus. Now, well, yeah, he did. No, he gave permission. He permitted, he allowed the crucifixion. But he didn't do it. In fact, he could not. Because both Peter and Stephen referred to the crucifixion as murder. And Satan is the murderer and the father of murders. God is not a murderer. Acts chapter 3, verse 14, Peter's preaching. He said, but ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are all witnesses. And then I've read this verse uh, uh, at least uh, in once in the previous lessons, uh, previous two lessons in this part, four. Uh, Acts 4, 26, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Acts 5.30 The scripture says, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. That's pretty specific, isn't it? And then Acts 7.52, which of the prophets, prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers? And murderers. So Stephen said, "You have uh, you're like your fathers who persecuted the prophets and sl- and slew them before the just one came, and now the just one's here. You, like your father, has persecuted him, betrayed him, and you have murdered him. If God did not and could not crucify Jesus, then who did?" Again, just for clarity's sake, I'm reading a verse that I've already read in this part four, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7 and 8. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. As seen in these and previous verses included in this lesson, the princes of this world, the Gentiles, the Jews, and The religious were his crucifiers. In addition, Satan was obviously behind the scenes as the God of this world. Since God, since Paul could not crucify himself, then who crucified him with Christ? Okay. If Christ couldn't and didn't crucify himself, and Paul could not crucify himself, then who crucified him with Christ? And that's the that's the the focus of part four, and it is 
what we want to talk about in this lesson. Again, did not God did not crucify Jesus. He did not crucify Paul. Crucifixion is murder. I know I'm repeating myself, but I repeat it for emphasis. We've got to get this. God can't bless us with crucifixion. He can permit us to be crucified with Christ, and he can bless us because we're crucified with Christ, but the act of being crucified with Christ is not the blessing of God, except that he has permitted it because he knows the joy that's going to become come to us after being crucified with Christ. Again, I'm, I'm hammering this. It could not have been Paul himself that crucified himself because that would have been self-murder and self and suicide, which would be suicides, spiritual suicide. Furthermore, it follows that like, like Paul, we cannot crucify ourselves. Therefore, the question is, who crucifies us? So I said all of that to get to this. Ready? Because the answer to this question has life-changing potential for you and for me. The answer to it. If God empowered the crucifiers of Jesus by granting permission, wouldn't he also have to empower whoever or whatever crucifies us, just like he had to permit those who were the agents of his crucifixion to crucify Paul? Yes, he would have to permit them, and they would become his agents of crucifixion in our lives, working out the will of God in us. That's not their purpose, but it's God's purpose in allowing them to do what they're doing. So the 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 text of Scripture, which is the foundation for everything we're talking about in all of part four, especially, even though we've used it in previous parts of this series, uh, Here's the backbone here. You ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Now, Paul is making a statement at the beginning of this text that we're going to read, the whole text. His introduction to what is to follow is actually the end of, the thing that was produced in him through the process that we're about to read. And I'll come back to you to show you what I'm talking about. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, when that when the, those things began to happen... He didn't understand the, the thing, the statement he just made about it here. This was not his understanding. And we know it wasn't his understanding because of what the scripture next verse says. For this thing I besought the, the Lord thrice that he might, it might depart from me. If he had known before these things happened, if the Lord had said to him, now I'm going to let some bad stuff happen to you, Paul. And, uh, uh, it's not, it's not a curse. It's not the devil warring against you. I have permitted the devil, and because of his narrow-minded pride and him not understanding my plan, uh, 
He eagerly chose to do this. So it's on him. But I'm permitting him to do this. And the reason I'm permitting for him to do this is to, to keep the puff out. That's my paraphrase. Because Paul, even Peter acknowledged that Paul had revelations that he himself, Peter, had a hard time understanding. And Peter acknowledged that Paul's revelations were so deep that they it allowed for those who were carnal to twist Paul's revelations and make them out to say something they did not to their own destruction. Because there are things you can pull out of Paul's revelations when taken out of context, appear to say, hey, you know, under the pure, all things are pure. So, you know, uh, all things are lawful to me, but not, you know, all things are lawful to me. And under the pure, all things are pure. So it is pure to me to go do this. It's pure to me to go do that. And uh, this is lawful. This is lawful. There's nothing. There are no don'ts. There's only do's. And so what? It, yeah. You can twist false teaching to say stuff like that. But that's not what he's saying. But that's the depth of his revelations. And when even Peter, the apostle to the Jews, acknowledges that Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, had an abundance of revelations, well, that kind of makes Paul preeminent from a human perspective when it comes to the amount of revelations. And when you know Paul's testimony that after he was uh, confronted on the road to Damascus by the Lord Jesus Christ personally in a, uh, in a, 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 a vision and he heard the, the audible voice that everybody heard an audible voice, Paul's the only one to recognize it, understood what it was said. But, because that whole group were Gentiles that were going to back up the letters that Paul had to be able to go and put Christians in jails because they were, they were causing, uh, they were disrupting the peace of the province. And so the Jews very wisely used the Romans against themselves by manipulating the Romans to say, these Christians are causing you guys trouble. Now, if you'll let us help you, we'll ferret them out and we'll get them put in jail. But you're the ones who got to do it. You're the law. I mean, we're, you're, you're, we're just, we're just your, you're the inhabitants of the territory you're inhabiting. We don't have any force, so you'll have to come do this. So he had this company of soldiers and other dignitaries to, to represent him to go be the arm of power to put these Christians in jail that he had a problem with. So he's confronted out here. And and he uh <laughs> and from that confrontation in this in Damascus, uh Ananias came to him and he got the Holy Ghost and he got baptized. But instead of going back to Jerusalem and sitting down with the apostles and letting them teach him, he went out into the backside of a desert. I don't remember what desert that was, but he went someplace solitary and spent approximately three years fellowshipping with the Lord and studying the word of God for himself. And the Lord gave him all this understanding between him and God. And he says in his testimony that after this period of time, he went up to Jerusalem 
to compare what God gave him with what he, what he had taught directly to the apostles to make sure he wasn't running in vain. Okay? I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty amazing that the apostles had to be taught mouth, Jesus' mouth to their physical ears and were having a hard time receiving that because there were so many times they didn't understand what he was saying. And, and, and they had to be told before Jesus' ascension, uh, go ye therefore t- uh, uh, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So Jesus had to relate to them like that. Paul got all of that on his own, not through them. Now, that's pretty amazing. But here's the concern. He had reached such a place of preeminence that God's love for Paul was such that Paul had to be immunized against getting puffed up. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He repeats that twice. And what is the measure? Paul said it in another place, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 4, 7, I think. Uh, what do you have you didn't receive? If, and if you, if you received it, then what are you boasting about it for? So this is what God was teaching him and produced in him by this abundance of, uh, by this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan uh, to buffet him. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. For this thing I besought the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is enough for you. You don't need this to be gone. You only need my grace to enable you to do what you cannot do. And we know in Philippians chapter 4, he told us, he said, I have learned in whatever whatsoever state I'm in therewith to be content. I learned it because these agents of crucifixion put me in a place where God could teach me this. I've learned how to abound and be abased. I've learned how to be full and be empty. I've learned I can do all things. Through Christ, which strengthened me. You talk about a verse that's taken out of context a whole lot. Yeah, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me. It's absolutely true. But the context is, I can endure anything, whether God makes me full or God makes me empty. Whether I'm abounding or being abased, I can endure all of that because of Christ's strength, which is exactly what grace is. Philippians 2.13 for about the thousandth time I've quoted it in the, my lifetime. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The grace of God is not a passive, unmerited favor. Unmerited favor is the reason God does what he does called grace. We don't earn it or deserve it, but his unmerited favor enables us to do supernaturally, what we cannot do through any natural means. Human will, human spirit, human ability, human intellect, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can't do it. And what we think we can do with humanity is Cain's offering. What is done through us by the Spirit is Abel's offering. 
And God always rejects Cain's offering. Always. Because this whole series is about motive, isn't it? Yes, it is. So he continued. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. For when I am weak, then am I strong. <laughs> I said this at a, in one of the previous lessons. Uh, I spent years trying to prove to God how strong I was. And he spent that same period of time trying to pre- prove to me how weak I was and how much I couldn't do it myself and how much I needed him. So if you're trying to be strong, good luck with that. And I don't believe in luck. It's not going to work. God's not going to bless you trying to be strong. He will be strong in you and through you. For when I am weak, I am strong because of Christ. The power of Christ resting upon me. Because my infirmities, I glory in my infirmities because those infirmities make me fully aware of how weak I am. (laughs) I got a sinful nature. And I could crucify the flesh with the affections and lust thereof today, but tomorrow if I give it just a small little bit of opening. It, it will prove to me that it is subdued. But if I'm going to take my foot off the neck of sinful, the sinful nature, if I'm going to do that, it's going to be a problem. Paul said in, Gala- in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. I'm preaching the gospel because he initiated the call. All I've done is respond. I can't take the credit for it. I didn't go volunteer for this. I was drafted. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. He didn't say he was doing this against his will. He came to it against his will. God confronted him on the road to Damascus. Now he had a choice then. He didn't have to do it. But against his will at that moment, he was confronted. He was called. Because that look in Acts chapter 26, Paul gives us the most detailed explanation and testimony of what happened that day. And he was called right there on the on the in the dirt on the road to Damascus. Saw Christ and heard the voice of Christ speaking just to him in Hebrew. Everybody else heard the noise, but they didn't understand the language. So here he is. Here he is. It was against his will. Was his idea. So what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of uh, of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. What does he mean by that? He means, what's the charge? If I'm preaching to you, I expect, you know, if I'm preaching to you, I expect, I expect you to pay me back. Compliment me and do for me. But Paul said, because I didn't call myself to this, 
I'm doing this by the will of God, by his will, not mine, I don't have a reward. The only reward I've got is I am his conduit. Verse 19, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. To I am made all things to all men that by all means that I might by, might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Now listen to this. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain the prize. What is the prize? It's the mark. The prize is the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, the calling on high. That's the prize. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they that do it obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth there. But I keep under my body, bring it in into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And the word castaway is a term used in the Olympic games of someone who's disqualified because they broke the rules. So therefore, God brought him to this, brought Paul to this place through these thorns, the thorns in his flesh. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And that word thorn is a collective word for all the negative things. And Paul uses it a collective word when he says, therefore, in uh, in Second uh, Corinthians twelve verse ten, the word therefore is a conclusive conjunction which takes everything he just said and then summarizes it and breaks a conclusion in verse ten. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities, uh, in persecution and stresses for the for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm am I strong. So, and he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. When he prayed three times, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. No is an answer to prayer. Now, he may not always explain to us the reason for no, but he wants to know if we can take no as an answer and trust him as our father, that he He has a plan and he, he knows what's best for us. And no is okay. No is okay. Even when it's you brought right up to the point where it looks like whatever it is you want to happen is about to happen. And he says, no, no, it's got to be okay. Because how many times do we get ourselves in trouble by wanting something and we think God's in it because he lets us have it. He doesn't prevent, prevent it. And then we've struggled to pay for it through whatever kind of paying for it we have to do. Because God always pays for what he orders. If it's his will, he always take care of it. I can have peace, even if it's the last minute, the last second, and I don't have the money for that bill. He, If I'm in the will of God, if I got that in the will of God, not through my own lusts, I can trust God with it. I can trust God with it. Praise God. Much of the remainder of part four will be an in-depth discussion of this context and those that are related to it. Why? Because for the growing child of God, 
This may be one of the most essential working revelations that could possibly, we could possibly ever have. That's absolutely the truth. It changes your life. <laughs> it changes your life. It changes your life. Changed my life. <laughs> I've had the question asked me many times. Why would a loving God allow such painful things to happen to his children? The biblical answer to this question cannot be given from a natural or temporal perspective. I can't give you a natural answer to a question that ultimately is a supernatural question, not a temporal question. You we, you and I may be asking it temporally. Why did this specific event, why did God allow this specific thing to happen? As I the testimony I've given in previous lesson about my wife having cancer three times. I can't explain to you why that natural occurrence took place, but I know this one thing, he was in control of it. And we trusted him with it. And he brought us through it, but he never did tell us what was going to be the end result. We did not know she was cancer free till after the surgery. And the doctor says, we can't find any cancer. He never said that. We trusted him with it through the whole thing. She could have died with us trusting him because it would have been his will. I'm very, very thankful it wasn't. But I would have had to have given thanks to him if it was. I would have had to have because he's God. Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord, Job said, and not receive evil? We're so thankful for the bad. The Bible says in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's the will of God for us to be able to give thanks for what we call the good and for what we call the bad. So the only way we will ever understand why God allows bad things to happen to good people, remember the book, is to look at life from the eternal perspective. I've read these verses in previous lessons in this series our motives from God's perspective, but here it is again. Second Corinthians chapter seven or chapter four, verse seven. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So I've been crucified with Christ, but it's an ongoing thing. It's a daily experience because we're always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus so that we can be conduits that the life also of Jesus may be made manifest in our body to you. I added the words to you, but that's the purpose. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal bodies. Why? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. God never wants there to be any confusion whose life people are seeing. So he allows... Our life to always be dead and hid with Christ and God if we will submit to it. So they see Christ and hear Christ. 
the life of Christ. Verse 12, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have in the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I have believed, therefore have I spoken. We also believe, therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you at that last, at the, at the rapture of the church. For all things are for your sakes. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound or abound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. But though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For all, verse 15, for all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound or abound to the glory of God. The purpose, the reason we go through all this is for Christ's sake, so that we can be used as a conduit for God to be glorified. For which cause? Because we're conduits through which you can be ministered to, Paul said, and You will give thanksgiving to God, and he will be glorified for this cause. For which cause? We faint not. We don't give up and quit, no matter how, what we're going through. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now, a lot of people, their outward man is surviving, and the inward man is perishing day by day. They renew the outward man day by day. And their inward man perishes day by day. For our light affliction, light in the perspective of the glory of God and all that he is doing through us. For our light affliction is but for a moment because this life is just a vapor. And compared to all that God has given us, this is such a brief trial and test and difficulty Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. The affliction works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Christ is glorified here, so we can be glorified in Christ in eternity. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are are eternal. The Holy Ghost gave Paul the answer to the question why. It's all in the context, the arena, and the uh, from the perspective of the eternal. I have to see, because of the love of my Father for me, I have to let his grace open my eyes to see, my ears to hear, my heart to perceive, receive, believe, so that he can show me the unseen and so that I can know that all of this is temporary and he is preparing me for what he has for me. The Holy Ghost gave Paul the answer to that question, why? He gave it. But this answer is only sufficient for those who have confidence in God's love 
I've read it already. Uh, I believe it was the last lesson. First John chapter 4, verse 16. And we have known experientially and believe, we trust in, we rely on the love that God hath for, to, to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Now, this is so amazing right here. Verse 17, herein is our love made perfect because that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Strong's tells me that the word translated judgment here in the English equivalent letters of the Greek word is K-R-I-S-I-S. That's the word from which we get the word crisis. And this word judgment is used in this context, of course, meaning the last judgment. But every day I live, there are crises, crises that God allows to happen in my life. Some small, some big. The word crisis literally in the Greek means decision. So if I want God's judgment of me, to be well done, thou good and faithful servant at the judgment. Every day of crisis, every crisis of the day, I have to, by the grace of God, with the right attitude, make the right decision of my will to do the will of God so that he is pleased, so that he is pleased. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He that cometh to God, Hebrews eleven six, he that so that he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, not seek for him, not seek from him, seek him. God, in His love for us, lets us face crises every day, so that we can be prepared to face the judgment then. The love of God gives us confidence. The love that we know experientially, the love that we have learned, perfected, we've learned, it's matured in us. It's now working knowledge in us so that we can trust and rely upon the love of God, believe in, trust and rely upon the love of God That so that we can past pass every test of crisis. And when we don't, we need to repent, confess that, and learn and grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All of this works together for our good and for, for the good of uh, our good because we love God. We love him because he first loved us, 1 John four nineteen. 19. Uh, because we love God, and because we're called according to his purpose. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that by the grace of God, you and I will allow the Lord to work these things in us, that we might be everything that he has called us to be in him. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God bless you. Amen.